had an elder in Cornerstone, and a fabulous, gorgeous man, okay? I'm not going to give you his name. And he was a stunning man, a beautiful elder man of God, the real deal. Humble, loved Jesus, loved the church, loved us, okay? He had one flaw, everybody, one flaw. He was a serial hugger, okay? Whether you wanted to, whether you wanted a hug, it doesn't matter. If you were in his orbit, he was gravitating towards you. And if you were a new person coming through the door, I mean, horror of horrors, okay, he made a beeline for you. And he was very clever, okay, on how he was the elite of hugging, okay. He was the Marines, the SAS, if you like, of hugging, okay, because it didn't start out as a hug. Al, come on here a second. And uh, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you how he did it. Okay, come on up here. And uh, it was. It was very. Let's say the elite. Okay. So what he would do is. So hi, Al. And he would reach for your hand. Okay. So it looks like a handshake. Don't be fooled. Okay. He brings the handshake in, and then the wrap around, and he draws you in. He lets this go, and you're caught. And that's it. Very. Give him a round of applause. That was beautiful. It wasn't even rehearsed, okay? It wasn't even... Re- That's how he did it. I give it a special name. What did I call it? It was the hand grab, shoulder, reach over hug, okay? Hand grab, shoulder in. It's a sp- elite, okay? It takes years and years of training, okay? So can you imagine then what happened when my mom and dad came to visit Cornerstone in the early days and we took it over, okay? My dad's love language is acts of service. It is not physical touch. I got to tell you, okay, there's tactile defensive and then there's gym, all right? It's like, you come near me, I'll hit you. That's just, that. it's tactile offensive. That's where he is, okay? So this gorgeous elder of a man, he's going straight for my dad and I'm going to watch this, okay? I'm just going to watch this play out. And so he goes over, in with a handshake, dad's happy enough, and he comes, round with his shoulder. I've never seen a man turn to stone as quick in my life. It kind of went like this, And then a funny thing happened. My dad began to fold inwards. And at that point then I moved in before he had have a smile stroke or something. He was going to pass out on the floor and I had to rescue him. And I was like, oh, that dad was free of the embrace. I'm telling you. So I don't know whether you are a hugger or whether you are not a hugger. Most men will grow into it, okay? But we don't start out. We're not born as huggers, us men. You ladies, hug away to your heart's content, all right? But anyway, whether you're a natural hugger or not, what I want to say is this, that there is in our text today, and what I want to talk about, this supernatural, a spiritual posture of heavenly hugging, okay, that God wants us uh, to be invited into. And so we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. I've got four or five verses. I'm going to read them to you because I want to land on the message version, and then I want to use, as I break it down, the amplified version, okay? Let that wash over you. Just trust me, it's the Bible. I'm preaching you truth, okay? And and so Peter is writing here. He says, summing up then, be agreeable, everybody. Be agreeable. Be sympathetic. Be loving. Be compassionate. Be humble. And then he says that goes for all of you. No exceptions. No retaliation. Okay, no sharp tongue sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job. Okay, you'll. What's my purpose in life? Be a blessing. Okay, you'll be a blessing, and also get a blessing. And here it is. Here it is. Whoever wants to embrace life, and I love this line, and see the day fill up with good. Hands up. Who wants to embrace life and see the day fill up with good? 
Okay, that's everybody, okay? Of course we do. He says, here's what you do. Say nothing evil uh, or, or hurtful. Snub evil, cultivate good, and then run after peace for all your worth, which is more or less a recapping of the first few verses. And then he goes on to say, God looks on all of this with approval, listening and responding well to what he's asked, but he turns his back on those who do evil things. There are four or five mega themes in 1 Peter. One of them is God's family, okay? And as we are in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, he's exhorting the early church to how to behave in relation to one another, okay? How to kind of be the church, not so much do church, how to be church, okay? And as you can gather already, what really grabbed my attention towards these verses was verse 11, uh, 10 and 11. Whoever wants to embrace life. And I thought, what a wonderful way to put that. Whoever wants to grab hold of life and see the day fill up with good. I've got to tell you, your day can fill up with lots of stuff if you've no plan for it. I've got to tell you, not all of it's not all of it's good. So, what does the word mean to embrace? Well, I went to the dictionary, everybody, and here's what the dictionary said: It says to take, to clasp in the arms, to press to the chest, and hug. That's it. If we want to embrace the day, if we want to grab hold of the day, clasp it in the arms, bring the day to the chest, and hug it. Then Peter says, you know, here's some things we got to do. The trouble is, we've all embraced stuff before. Yes, and it looked like life. It looked like it could fill up our day with good. But we found as we journeyed in life that it wasn't life at all. It kind of looked like good and it smelled good. But we discovered after we had the hands on it, it wasn't great after all. Sex and drugs and chasing cash and revenge. Porn, all the stuff that, you know, says that life is there. Out of our brokenness, we have embraced some things. We've embraced the wrong things sometimes, thinking it was life. Social media, everybody, is full of what we need to embrace life with so our day fills up with good, amen? Isn't it? So, so helpful? Thank goodness it's all there. I want to show you five things, okay, on my feed, on TikTok or Instagram Reels that they're telling me I need to embrace life. Are you ready? So my day fills up with good. Number one, a calorie deficit. <laughs> Who are these people, okay? Calorie deficit. All these shredded gym bros. No offense. Uh, <laughs> All these guys, okay, if you have 15 grams of protein, 2 grams of carbohydrate, 50 grams of fat, yes, let's go for it. Now, I love all the calorie deficit, it is great for fat loss, but I know if once I arrive at the body perfect, I still won't have life. The second thing that my Instagram feed tells me I need for life is a side hustle. You see these people, a side hustle. A side hustle. You can be a crypto millionaire in a week. Just download my handy 510-page guide. Easy to read, no problem at all. We've got to delete these people, okay? The third thing that these people tell me I need is an air fryer. Anyone getting tortured with air fryers? They're everywhere. Air fryers. They're on my feed. Not your average, no, I want a double-handed jar ninja. That's what I'm going for. I want that there. An air fryer, just put the budgie in there. It'll be ready in two seconds. Oh, we'll, we'll pull the feathers out. Just, mm, right? 
Seriously, for life. I don't think so. And then number four, a Labrador puppy. Okay, that's what we need. Who can use the dinner in the air fryer? That's what happened. He opens the thing and eats. That's and then number five, and they're still playing this jolly song, okay? Megan Trainer, instructions how to get my Gucci on. Oh, for dear sake, please, somebody write another song. You might be able to make me look love, but I got to be honest, if I hug a Gucci sweater, it's still not going to bring me life. Amen? Hip, hip. It's not going to do it. So what are we going to do? What are the things we're going to clasp and grasp and hug and get the hold of, okay, and pull to our chest if we are to embrace life, if we are to see our days fill up with good? All right, well, Peter tells us in verse 8 and 9, everybody say five. five. Do you like the number five? Good, because there's five of these, all right? Now, they're going to be small. So did he just say five? Okay. Number one is this, hug a little harmony. Hug a little harmony, okay? Hands up with your kids in the room. Anyone pray for them? <laughs> yes. And as they get older, I'm going to pray all the more, okay? I'm telling you. When my kids were, were babies, okay, and they'll always be babies to me, um, when they were babies, okay, I used to pray for their mind, their mind, okay? And so what I'd do was I'd ask God that they'd grow up without being small-minded, all right? I wanted them to have kind of exciting, expansive minds that enjoyed the world they were in, okay? I don't want to raise up kids that, Lord, protect them from the world. No, no, no. Lord, release them to change the world, okay? Don't be a hover parent with your prayers. Yes, protect them, but don't let that be the only type of prayer you pray. Lord, build them, release them, and send them, and use them, okay? So I don't want my kids with a small mind. Then I ask God that they wouldn't have narrow minds, because I think no matter where you are in life, you always can go further if you remain teachable, amen? So I wanted them to be teachable people, not people who can't be turned or can't have their minds changed or when they always have to be right, you know, those people. So I didn't want them to be narrow-minded. Then I asked God that they wouldn't be double-minded. I wanted them to know who they are, how they look like, that they're happy with the way they look, that they love the Lord, they go with God, and you can have your thing, da, da, da. But you know what? I'm single-minded in that way. And so that was the opposite. I was asking God to encourage them not to be double, not to be marrow, not to be small, but to be single-minded people, that they'd live their own life, that they wouldn't compare too much to anyone else, that they would want to be part of something bigger and give their all to it because they believe believed in it. In verse 8, Peter writes, be agreeable. But here's how the amplified version puts it. He says, finally, all of you should be of one and the same mind. Be united in spirit. Kind of sounds odd, it kind of feels odd, but Peter says that if you want to watch your day fill up with good, the first thing you hug is hug a little harmony between each other. That when it comes to loving others and it comes to loving Jesus, hug some harmony. Everyone, unity is like health. You just don't know the value of it until you lose it. Isn't that right? But I've got to tell you, when a marriage has unity, when the workplace has unity, when football teams have unity and they play like a team, and I've got to tell you, when a church has unity, when the church is facing in the one direction and we're believing in the one vision, five years 
everybody. I've got to tell you, there's nothing like it. Nothing can stop it. And in the heavenly realm, the Bible says unity commands a blessing. In other words, unity's up there somewhere. A blessing's up there somewhere. When it sees unity, it's drawn to it. Blessing is attracted to unity. Unity attracts blessing. It's an incredible thing. And open arms, I want to, just by way of reminder, Jesus did not come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. Amen? That's it. There are no sides in heaven. i got to be honest. So there's, there's, there's no sides. There's no splits. There's no camps. There's no strained relationships in heaven. And I want to encourage you, allow that reality into your spirit. So I have to ask, just between ourselves, nobody's, nobody's looking, nobody's listening. Are you willing to hug a little bit of harmony, a little bit of unity? You might have to drop your preferences. You might have to drop your argument. You might have to drop your sort of patient waiting for the apology. You might have to drop some things. You might even have to drop your opinion. But I'm on Instagram and I can put my opinion out where I like. Not if it's killing unity. And definitely not there. So I want to encourage you. Let's be like Jesus. Jesus prayed this. This is what he prayed. He's he's heading to heaven. This is what he prayed. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. Not just the disciples. He says, I pray for all those who will believe in me through their message. That's you. And this is what he prayed. He prayed that all of them may be one. All of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. You are in Jesus. Jesus is in God. And Do you know those kind of Russian dolls you get? Can you imagine? You and Jesus, Jesus and the Father. You can be in no better place in life. Imagine if open arms was a Russian doll. There's you and you and then you and then you and then you and then you. It's just one doll and we're all in it together. Amen. That's who we are. That's what we're about. And we're going to stay together and we're going to hug a little bit of harmony and attract the blessing of God. Amen. Amen. Second thing is hug a hurt. We've got a hug a hurt, H-U-R-T. Hug a hurt. Peter carries on in verse 8. I'm going to use the amplified version. He says, sympathizing with one another. Anybody good at sympathy? Hmm. Could anybody be better at sympathy? Here's what sympathy is. Sympathy is the ability to feel the sorrow of others and then act upon that feeling. It's easy to feel the sorrow of others on the acting, the feeling, okay? And Peter tells the church and you and me that if we want our day to fill up with good, and you said you do, okay, then what we've got to do is we've got to help each other in church. Yeah. (laughs) Did you know? I learned this recently. Did you know that God has wired humans to get high from hugging hurt? Did you know that? Well, yeah. I've read a ton of stuff on this, okay? And they're all the same. When you and I help someone, when you and I hug a hurt, a bunch of things happen. Seriously, this is is what happens. Your feel-good hormones are released. When you and I help other people, we get a shot of serotonin, oxytoxin and dopamine for free no round the corner no wee envelopes I imagine I don't know I don't know I don't know 
edit that. Um, and so what these are, these are neurotransmitters. Biology at church today. Neurotransmitters whose job it is to flood your system with the fields. Awesome. Here's what else happens when you and I hug or hurt. It eases anxiety. Studies show that when we hug or hurt, we literally hug ourselves back chemically. We got to feel, okay? We calm a little. We feel better. We feel alert. And here's the thing. You feel more like yourself because you know in Jesus' name you were here to be a blessing. Amen? Third thing it does, it alters the chemical balance of your heart in a good way. It makes your heart literally healthier. All right? Here's the fourth thing. Because your heart's better, it helps you live longer. Because when you help another person, you create a degree of connection to that person, which means it reduces anxiety, reduces isolation. It perhaps is the the context for friendship. And how many people know that people who have friends live longer? Men, get some more friends. And fifthly, reduces stress and helps prevent illness. This is what happened. This is how God has wired humanity. It's wired the church. That when the church steps out of itself, when the church hugs a hurt, when the church sees a need and then responds to the need, next week, by the way, here a bunch of stuff happens to you and in you. It is a win-win. And I also read one study that says this, that when I help Raul and Alex watches me help him, Alex also feels better just by watching Isn't that incredible? You want to witness to Dublin? Make sure Dublin sees you helping people. I'm not trying to manipulate and be silly about it. But when the world sees the church doing church stuff, it reacts in the world in a way that nothing else is like it. It's a win-win. Listen to how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. And then he says, Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. And I love this verse. He says, If one part hurts, the other part is involved in the hurt and the healing. Come on, that's incredible. That means when you walk into Open Arms Church and you're not feeling it, something has happened in your life. You know what? All the rest of us, we're responsible in some way for the recovery of that person. That means then when you go down, they're perhaps involved in the recovery of you. That's what it means to be a church. And what happens, of course, is, and the benefits and the byproducts are all this serotonin, oxytocin, dopamine highs. How good is God? And then Paul writes, if one part flourishes, every other part enters into its exuberance. Amen? When you're up, we're all up. When you're down, we're all down. When I'm up, you're up. When you're down, I'm down. That's how it works. And then we're all part of the recovery in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Number three. What are we doing? So number two, number one. Let's review. Hug a little harmony. Hug a hurt. Hug a heart. Peter says this. Loving each other as brothers of one household. Jesus said this in John 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. 
What were they all commands? The Ten Commandments. This isn't a minor thing that Jesus is... We've let this just wash over. This is like number 11. Love one another. Full stop. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Mind blown. Think about this. Think about this. Consider the context. Jesus is leaving for heaven. He's on sort of data transfer mode for his transition. And he's pouring out all the stuff the disciples are going to need in order to take his mission forward on the earth. The cross is looming. He's teaching the disciples how to live life when he is no longer there in the flesh. Let me paraphrase this. And so this is what Jesus says. He says to the disciples, look, right now people know you're my disciples because they can see me with you. We wander about from town to town, place to place. I'm there by and large, okay? And if you do go out to do a bit of mission, they know that I'm not too far away. They know I've sent you, okay? But generally, I am there with you and we walk together, we hang out. Lads, the time is coming when I won't be there. That you will still walk about and do the ministry, but I won't be there. How will people know that? How will people know that I'm still around? How will people know who your rabbi is? How will people know who your leader is? How will people know that I'm still with you? And Jesus says, here's how they know, by how you treat each other. Powerful stuff. So this is what he's saying. Jesus says, the reality of your love releases the reality of my life. Ireland, Western Europe, around the world is a graveyard of churches because one thing or another meant that churches couldn't just get on. And I got to tell you, that sends just a bigger message as the ability to love one another sends a message to our world. And we have to make a choice, open arms. We have to make a choice. Are we going to allow the reality of our love to reveal his life and who he is or are we not? And so I want to encourage you as I encourage myself, if open arms is your home church and you want to embrace life and you want to see your day fill up with good, and if you want the world to see that Jesus is alive, and I got to be honest, the world needs to see the living, vibrant reality of the Lord Jesus. Yes, there's never been more important time in all of history in my own view where the world is crying, screaming for something true, something authentic, something real, and you've got it in your title, something life-giving, something life-changing, everyone. This is the moment, and part of the process, part of the way we witness to the world is by loving one another. Are we going to get on all the time? Of course we're not. We're so different. Look at you all. You know, sizes and small and thin and whatever, and age range. Some have got hair and we've got no hair. Some have got far too much hair. And you can send it my way. That'd be great. Yeah, quick. Exactly. That's cement. <laughs> What's holding that up? Oh, 
also different. So of course we're going to have different things and different buttons and different triggers and different, oh, whatever. But it's the church. It's the one place where we can come in the world and go, hey, I'm home. I'm truly home. They love me here. All my limps and warts and stuff and all. I'm home. Number four, nearly there. Hug humanity. Hug humanity. Peter goes on in verse 8. He says, be compassionate. Be compassionate. We are watching those moments from Syria and Turkey. It's an extraordinary thing to watch. You can really can't watch it. It's a funny the way the media is today, we're, we're like, they have cameras under them and we're watching in real time. It's extraordinary the access that we have. And hear my heart, that's the problem. The problem isn't the images, it's harrowing, it touches our heart and we're giving to that and we are praying and we're supporting. The problem, everyone, is it's the instant access to the information. It is the real time, always on, news feeds. No sooner are we advised of one thing and brought right into the middle of it, than the next thing comes along, we are brought right into the middle of that. The next thing comes along, we are brought into the middle of that. The next thing comes along, and we are brought right into the middle of that. Like, social media, for all its greatness, notifies you of stuff seconds after it occurs. And the trouble is, at least with me, is that repeated exposure to adversity over time desensitizes you to the horrors. We become used to hearing about disaster. Now, hear my heart, there's something comes along like a turkey moment that just takes everything out of all, you know, and that grabs our heart, please hear me. But generally what happens is we can downgrade our response. We used to have pity and be crying and do stuff and, and all of the emotion belong to that. But what happens now is that we, we can, even if it's like a, like a self-protection mechanism, we, we move into a place of momentary sentiment where we, we feel for a while and then we step out and we move on. And this is known as compassion fatigue. You get, become so used to compassion uh, fatigue. We're so used to all of the needs. You think, well, if I can't take all of this on, so I'm just going to close the curtains. I remember growing up in the Troubles in the North. I was born in 73, and so they were really at their height in the 80s. I remember all of that. And, you know, for the horrors of, of bombings and shootings, and it doesn't matter who's pulling the trigger and doing whatever. The reality is that the news would come on, and we bring reports of another, we bring reports of another, we bring, and we just got on. You can become so used to it. But when it comes to the church, everyone, when it comes to our day filling up with good, William Barclay says this about compassion. He says, pity is the essence of God. A pity so great that God sent his only son to die for men. A compassion so intense that it took Christ to the cross. And what a great day for this scripture because of communion that we shared together. And we can't lose our sense of pity, everyone. We can't become so desensitized to humanity and the world around us that we give it a sentimental nod and then we walk on by. 
This is what Jesus, uh, what Isaiah actually writes in, in chapter 40, verse 11. This is what God does, and I love it. It kind of was a, a stumble on this verse, but it said, He tends his flock like a shepherd. Watch what he does, though. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and what does he do? He carries them close to his chest. What's he doing? He's hugging. He's hugging them. So moved by pity for the most vulnerable, for the least of them, for those who cannot help themselves, that not only does he look at them, he, the Bible says he tends them and then he gathers them. And not beautiful that he tends to them and then, he, and then he gathers them and not just content to gather them. The Bible says then he lifts them and carries them. It's a beautiful thing. And so my encouragement to, to me and to, to all of us in the room, love your community and love your world. And whatever is appropriate response for you in the moment, when it need help, don't walk on by. Don't, I'll pray for you, and then we forget to pray for it. Get your hands on it. Whether it's a metaphorical hand, maybe it's the, the hands of prayer, maybe it's the hands of giving, the hands of support. I don't know what it would be, but what, whatever it is, bend down on the thing, lift it up, hold it tightly, carry them closely, because this is what Jesus does in the Gospels. How many times do we hear in the New Testament, when Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion on them, and then the Bible would go on to say what he did with them. He healed all their sick. He healed all their diseases. He fed them out of loaves and fishes. Compassion, everybody. Pity, everybody, is the currency of the supernatural. I want to remind you, every time Jesus does something explosive, it is preceded by this overwhelming sense of compassion on what lay before him. You cannot change what you will not love. You cannot lead what you will not love. And unless pity moves our heart, unless pity moves our hands, do you know what? We will never see a release of the prophetic, a release of the miraculous, a release of what God is doing on the earth. But when pity moves the church, when pity moves God's people, when pity bends us over and pelks up the world around us and hugs humanity, i got to tell you, world, watch out. Because I believe heaven can be be released in Jesus' name. Suddenly our prayers for healing have purchase. Our prophetic words have agency and urgency. Something begins to break in a church that can be bothered to love the world it is in. So we got to hug a little humanity. This is probably the biggest challenge for me. It is so easy, so busy to crack on. But I want my day to fill up with good. And I'm noticing everybody, as I'm preaching, as my day's filling up with good on this stuff, I don't feature anywhere in the jug. It's you lot. It's the church. Other people's hurts. Other people's hearts. Other people's stuff. Is there no room for me? And the answer is no. Because here's the final thing. Hug a little humility. Worship team, you can join me. You can come back up, everybody. Hug a little humility. Verse 8 says this. We want to be courteous. It says tender-hearted and humble. 
Everybody see this here? It's my thumb. Let me show you this thumb and let you see this one. Can anyone see the difference? What's on this thumb? It's not on this thumb. Plaster. Do you know why? I'm going to tell you why. Part of my 50th birthday, I asked relatives, I like to cook. And they said, would you like something special? I said, yes, get me new knives. <laughs> and these knives are so sharp that they bought them online and they had to go through the proof of age test to get these knives through the post. I'm standing making chicken something or other on Tuesday. And here's the, you won't believe this is true. This is true. This is true. Sarah's at the kitchen table. I'm worked up and I'm slicing chicken with the new knives, okay? And I turned to her and I said to her, these knives are fantastic. I was actually talking about how sharp these knives were, right? These knives are so good. They cut this chicken like hot knife through my thumb. Well, it's only a thing that size, but I was able to pick off a bit of my thumb. I don't think. How can something so small? I don't do blood. I watch casually with 3D glasses on. I do not watch any of that stuff, okay? How many people know that when we get in our own way, the person we hurt the most? Oh, it's me. I, I can't tell you how I can write a book on this stuff. I can't tell you how many times I get in my own way. I read this quote about humility, and it's pretty awesome. We're nearly there, everybody. Tea and coffee's coming. Come on. Humility says this. does not mean thinking less of yourself or of other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your gifts. And I love this. It means freedom from thinking about yourself one way or the other at all. Amen. I want to be free of me. I want to be free of me. I want to be free to be generous. I want to be free to be kind. I want to be free to love you. I want to be free to preach better. I want to be free to love the Lord. I want to be free just to help humanity. I want to be free to hug, hurt, and people. I want to be free. And if I'm going to be free, I need to get out of my own way. When we want our day to fill up with good, we're nowhere in it. And this is the thing. Social media is all about you get an air fryer, you go on a calorie deficit, you get a wee Labrador, you get your Gucci on, you get the whatever. What the Bible says, you want your day to fill up with good, you want to find life, get out of the road. Die, would you? Because when you're out of it, Jesus says, then you'll find it. Then you'll get life. This is one of the few verses in the New Testament that says, when you do something, God will bless it just, by, just because. I've researched this, the theology's on it, it's sound. I want to encourage you. You do this, God blesses. Isn't it amazing to be free from thinking of yourself one way or the other, that you wouldn't be offended, that your ego's so small it's insignificant, you don't feel disappointment. Imagine living with a sense of gratitude for the big and the small. Imagine being able to celebrate your neighbor's car that's bigger than yours because you just don't care. Imagine being able to celebrate a church that's going bigger and better than you. Imagine being able to celebrate whatever's going on in other people's lives because you're free from thinking about yourself. Isn't that incredible? It's quiet this morning now. It's incredible. 
Come on, imagine the feeling from being free from worrying and striving what you have, what you haven't got, where you can go, where you can't go, where you're doing, what you're not doing. Imagine being free from all of it. Imagine having a life that you can embrace that will put good into your day. When we hug a little humanity and we hug a little harmony and we hug a little heart and we hug a little hurt and suddenly we find the life we have been waiting for is before us all along. So come on. Let me pray as we close. Why don't we stand? Let's just stand. We'll stretch our legs for a minute. Father, part of this mess, some of this has been a bit close to the bone. Quite literally. For some, Lord, you will have hit the humanity bit. It's been compassion for others. It's been a hurt for others. It's been all sorts of memories and moments and things have been challenged and prodded a little bit here. But the one thing that unites us all, Lord, is to be like Jesus. The one thing that we want to gather around is to be like your son and to make a difference in our life but make a difference in the world of the people that in this room and then make a difference in Jesus' name to the people around our communities. And so, Father, if we're to do that, if we're to embrace that, if we are to see our days fill up with good, then I pray, Lord Jesus, you would help us embrace some of this text. That God, we would reflect on this a little bit and that, Father, you would help us to become more like Jesus. And so, for the, Lord, for those that need unity, Lord, I pray for unity. For Lord, that those who want to reach out and bless another, go and do it. For those that need to reach out to humanity, go and do it. For those of us, Lord, and it's all of us that need to a little bit of humility. Lord Jesus, plaster over the wounds as we self-mutilate. Get in our own way. Lord, get us out of the way. Take us out of the road. So we're free to live the life you've called us to live. You're a great God. You're a mighty God. We ask it all in the name of Jesus.